Vegas Nation podcasts are sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. Download the app today and get a bonus up to $500 when you sign up. Sports, entertainment, little to no culture. It's time for Unsportsmanlike Conduct with Ed Graney and Adam Hill. Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct of the Vegas Nation, sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We're your hosts, Ed Graney and Adam Hill, and we're here each week to give you our thoughts on the Las Vegas Raiders while entering into a world of news and topics we find interesting. Here we go. Uh, pads are on, buddy. Excited? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know, pads are popping. There's some hitting going on. It, it's big. Now, it slowed down a little bit. The first day in pads was uh, very aggressive, a lot of tackling, and the players talked about that. Coaches talked about that. It slowed down a little bit. Not really full contact right now, but um, they're at least in pads, and you know, it looks a little bit more like football than it did the first couple of days. Yeah. Um, you know, it really helped. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the weatherman, but uh, two straight days of uh, clouds and overcast skies. And people might say, well, what's such a big deal about that? That's a big deal when you're out there in full pads and playing and, and trying to stay away from the heat. I know you were probably there this morning. I was out at UNLV. I think they went indoors again with the Raiders yeah. talking about this on Friday. Um, but I, I don't think that's overblown how much that can help the team every once in a while when you have some of these days where it's not 110 degrees. Uh, help the team, help the coaches, help the media, help the fans, everybody. I think even uh, Josh McDaniel said a little uh, thank you to the weather gods the other day yeah. uh, as he was leaving his presser, just uh, how, how much of a relief it has been because, look, it, 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 there's something to be said about training in the heat and you know preparing your body and and you know getting yourself ready for whatever conditions you have. Uh, in a football game, but um, there's also a, a lot that can't be done. Like you can't fully exert when it's 117 degrees. And, you know, for those that aren't in Las Vegas that listen to this, uh, it was the hottest July we've ever had. Uh, ever. And so, yeah, ever on record. It's that uh, a long time. Ed. Uh, ever is a long time uh, that it goes back. So uh, hottest July that we've ever had. And so there was some concern. I think that, you know, training camp was going to be a little bit hindered by the weather, but uh, it cooperated and you know today was it was fairly warm uh but they were inside so you know they, they've been they've been fairly fortunate when the pads went on it actually cooled down quite a bit we actually got some rain i think on the first day of pads so uh it's you're you're right you don't want to just complete you know keep talking about the weather and obsessing on it but it has been a factor and it's been very nice for them to not have to deal with it necessarily when uh when the pads were on um i want to go the first day of pads uh i thought it was pretty funny um but it was intentional on Max Crosby's part to really uh, welcome Michael Mayer, the rookie tight end from Notre Dame to the NFL in terms of the first day of pads. And Max was, uh, let's say, going out of his way to welcome him on almost every play um, and to take him down and to you know teach the rookie some things. Um, before we get to Josh McDaniels, like I said, we were kind of on the sidelines laughing about it and saying, and obviously knowing what he was doing. Um, do you Do you like that? Do you like, you know, the best player in the team, you know, showing the young kid right away, like, Hey, this is what this is about. I, I really do. Yeah. I like it for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, first of all, it's, uh, it's what you said, like, Hey, this is what it's going to be like. Like, you know, you're a rookie and um, we have to show you what it's going to be like when you get in the games. Nobody's going to take it easy on you. Nobody's going to avoid hitting you. Like they're going to go after you uh, every single play and that's what you're going to have to deal with. And so that's what we're going to make practice. Like, uh, so I, I like that part of it. I like almost showing him like, Hey, you're a part of this team. Uh, we're, you know, even though it's, it was kind of bullying, it was also, uh, you know, Hey, look, we respect you and we know you have to get ready and get better. And Max took that upon himself, but I don't necessarily think it was upon himself either. It seemed like it was a coaching staff decision and maybe even a directive like, Hey, Max, go get them. Because there was times 
where, you know, Mayer was on the other side of the field and they ran him in motion to get run over by Max, right. uh, which, you know, is, is, is funny. Uh, probably not if you're Michael Mayer, but it was, it, it was funny to watch it. Uh, but I think what the coaching staff really wanted to see, and, and Josh McDaniels talked about it a little bit, was, hey, how does he respond? Like right. you know, there there right. are guys that, and by the way, this is me when I played. If you did that to me, I would just I would just walk off the field for for a while and pout and not be happy about it. Uh, but what they want to see is, if, are you mentally tough? Do you respond well? Do you jump back up and jump back into the next rep and go after him again? Like that's what they wanted to see out of him. And uh, according to Josh McDaniels, that's what they saw, and they were very happy with that. Yeah, uh, we're gonna play a clip here. Uh, Josh McDaniels was asked about this in terms of Max Crosby going after Michael Mayer, welcoming the NFL. Here's Josh McDaniels on Max Crosby's intensity. It's, I mean, he's a, you'd love to have 90, um, you know, that are like that. You know what I mean? And um, I think we have a lot of guys, uh, every one of our guys works hard. Um, he he just has an innate ability to bring it at the same level on every play, every day, regardless of what the day means. You know, and so shells, helmets, pads now he's not hitting anybody when he's not in you know pads or anything like that but his effort uh the way he works um, i mean how early he gets here how much time he puts in he's an incredible example i mean we're all blessed that we're around him um because i've been in the league for a, a little while and you know you see a few guys that come into your organization that are like that and um they're rare they're unique and so um, I really appreciate the time that we have, uh, you know, together with him. And I think our team appreciates, you know, what he brings to, to this organization and to the field every day to his job. And so um, n- there's no better example than, than what he does to try to help the Raiders win. And so if everybody sees that and can try to, you know, sprinkle a little bit of that into their game, into their daily routine, uh, we would all be better for it. So um, you know, we saw that yesterday. Yeah, Michael Mayer certainly did. Yeah, I get the feeling, uh, and I think you do the same there, that the coaches loved this. Um, you know, football guys, football coaches, we know the cliches about them. But like you said, I think, and I, I didn't think of this, I, you know, you're probably right that it was a directive from the coaches to go after the guy uh, and to uh, make him make him understand what he's about, what he's going to be in for for 17 weeks. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He has been running with the first string a lot. Uh, so this, yeah. this might, this might be the guy. I mean, and it's good that he learns now they're going to have, um, uh, which I really think is going to help him, uh, joint practices with the 49ers next week. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're going to be there. Don't they have joint practices with the Rams also? Uh, they will have with the Rams down in yeah. Southern California, yeah. uh, by the way, at the same time that the chargers are joint practicing with the saints. So familiar face, and uh, Derek Carr, also Foster Morrow and uh, Jonathan Abram down there uh, with the Saints in Southern California at the same time. So a lot of Raiders and former Raiders will be congregating in Southern California, although Southern California is a big area, I think about two hours apart for the practice facilities. Yeah, that'll be good, though. That'll be good to get um, stuff from all of them. And I, I know you'll uh, be over there trying to talk to Derek Carr and others that uh, played for the Raiders. Um, so, yeah, I think I think those joint practices will also help Michael Mayer and and some of these other rookies and second-year players to really get a taste for for what this is about and how difficult uh, this league is. Um, someone who might not know how difficult the league is because he only had 17 carries last year is Amir White, the uh, running back who's taken the first-team carries now that Josh Jacobs still hasn't reported and has, still has not signed the franchise tag. Uh, we both wrote about running backs this week, the backup running backs to Josh Jacobs. Um Zamir White, like I said, taking most of the uh, first team carries. We thought last year 
that he would do more. And then Josh Jacobs went crazy and decided to lead the league in rushing. Um, so that kind of put Zamir off to the side and, and really everyone else off to the side. They all stood around watching as Josh Jacobs had that incredible year. Um, I think we both thought more last year would be running back committee. That's what, you know, that's what McDaniels was from in new England, but then you couldn't hold Josh back last year. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, cause I don't think either of us think Josh Jacobs will lead the league in rushing again. That would take a lot for him to do. Um, he could certainly come back and have a good year. Uh, there's no question about that, but do you expect, uh, more of a running back by committee this year? I mean, don't you at some point and maybe, I'm wrong here, but don't you at some point have to find out what you have in Zamir White? You traded up to get him in the fourth round. Um, and I just don't think they want another season where he has 17 carries. Well, I don't either. That's why I thought it was so stunning and why I had to write about the quote from Josh McDaniels where, you know, he was asked like, hey, doesn't this open up more opportunities? And he said, basically, look, that was kind of the plan last year. And Josh Jacobs made it so that didn't happen. And I don't see any reason to believe that wouldn't be the case again which was very, I kind of almost like slid, slid forward in my chair and said, wait a minute, what? what? Like, that was pretty stunning to me because I, I think we all expect that Zamir White would get a lot more opportunities and that uh, even Britton Brown potentially could get some chances. Obviously, they like what Amir Abdullah could do out of the out of the backfield. And um, Sincere McCormick, a young guy that they really like. Uh, obviously, Austin Walter is flash, but he's hurt now and down for the season. But um, I, I think we expected even when Josh Jacobs came back, that there would be a lot of chances for other guys. And for Josh McDaniels to say he thinks it's very possible for Josh Jacobs to once again dominate the touches because he he forces it was stunning. Now, it's one thing to say it when Josh Jacobs isn't even here and another to actually go through with it. And I fully expect other guys to get more opportunities this year. I'd be stunned, like absolutely stunned if Zamir White didn't have more carries than he did last year. But um, that was a pretty a pretty stunning comment from Josh McDaniel. So I, I think people are taking it back. We'll see what they actually do once the season starts. But that was uh, definitely eye-opening and, and attention-grabbing uh, that he would say something like that. But yeah, I think that there's plenty of uh, of plenty of options on the field uh, to take some of that workload away. And I, I guess the theory would be, and again, I I don't I know people don't like hearing this. I heard some feedback on on Twitter, some some stuff that was said on this uh, on this podcast, but like. The the theory, the reason running one of the reasons running backs are devalued and don't get paid what we think they should is because their bodies wear down so fast because that's what teams do. And so my thought would be maybe when they do get Josh Jacobs here, they give him 400 carries again and just try to wear him down. He's probably it's probably his last year with you. Uh, you're probably not going to come to a long term agreement. So wear him down, save Zamir White's legs for when he's still on his rookie contract for the next two years and you can use him. I mean, that would be kind of the economic theory of, of football and running backs uh, that they employ in the NFL. So maybe that's possible. I, again, I don't like that. I think it's gross, but that's kind of how it works now. And so maybe that would be the idea of having Josh Jacobs dominate the touches, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued to find out how they really do it. Uh, we asked Josh, Jake, excuse me, Josh McDaniels. Well, we wish we asked Josh Jacobs something yeah. He would have been back and appearing before the media, but that's not that hasn't happened yet. We asked Josh McDaniels to uh, uh, give us his thoughts on Zamir White. Here are those. Are there are there tangibles that we don't see that make Zamir good? 
Um, you know, I think every, every position has intangibles that are hard to see. Um, but I think, you know, just his, uh, his run skill and innate ability to, you know, see things when he has the ball, find, you know, lanes, cutbacks, when, when he's supposed to bounce, when he's not, when he's supposed to go ahead and tuck it in there, uh, make, make some hard yards. Um, and I'd say just overall his ability to go forward on contact. Um, I've always been impressed with runners that do that. I've, been around a number of guys that, you know, when they hit you, it's you know, there's going to be a plus two added on to the run. Um, and Zamir, that's how he ran in college. And, you know, so far that's how we've seen him run, you know, mostly in practice. He didn't have a lot of opportunity last year, uh, obviously because of Josh. So, um, you know, just looking forward to, you know, continue to work with him. Um, but he's putting in a lot of time and effort into trying to be a, a complete player, not just a guy that has the ball and can do something with it. He wants to be good in blitz pickup. He wants to improve in the passing game. Uh, and all those things are part of, you know, a young back's uh, progression. And so uh, he's really working at all those phases. Vegas, get in on the sports betting action and get on the STN Sports app. With 14 convenient sign-up locations across town at Station Casinos, Wildfire, and El Cortez, you're only a few minutes away from getting started no matter where you are in town. With a huge menu of betting options and points back on your bets, STN Sports is the strongest betting app out there. Where do you think uh, he's a veteran? Uh, and I know Zamir White's getting the first team touches, but we also talked to Amir Abdullah uh, this week. Where does he fit into all this if there's some kind of lengthy uh, – you can't say hold out because he doesn't have a contract, but let's say Josh Jacobs, let's say, let's say Josh Jacobs really pushes this thing. Like he really pushes uh, staying away and they get into games here. Um, is this by committee? Does Amir White get the first chance to be the Josh Jacobs carries? I've, uh, Amir White's always interested me in terms of what they have in mind for him. Uh, yeah. If in fact, Jacobs just stays away. Yeah, so my thought would be if if Josh Jacobs is not here, let's just take him out of the equation. Um, if he's not here, I would imagine Zamir White gets a lot of early down work, first and second down, and I would imagine Amir Abdullah is the third down guy uh, who's in there and and in passing situations. Like he's a guy that has done that throughout his entire career. That's been his role. He's been very good at it, and I think that's still an area, uh, both in pass protection and and receiving that Zamir White still has a lot of work to do. And I think it's part of the reason we didn't see him a little bit more last year in addition to how well Josh Jacobs played. So uh, I would imagine Zamir White is the is the first guy on the field, first down, maybe give it to him, and then uh, get Amir Abdullah in for passing situations and, and third down plays. And uh, that's probably how they would kind of balance it out. Brandon Bolden obviously can play that role as well, uh, more of a special teams guy, but uh, he can play there. So uh, I think that's how it would break down. I think you would see a lot of Amir Abdullah anytime they're uh, thinking of passing the ball or at least making it look like they're going to pass the ball. Yeah. You've written about and talked a lot about uh, the new kickoff rules. Uh, uh, Wait, me? Me writing about special teams? Yes. Uh, what, what a shock. Um, yeah. that's, that's, always, that's always a surprise to me when I pick up the paper uh, that you've written about special teams. But uh, you have written a lot about these new kickoff rules. We talked to the special teams coach this week. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see, you know, whether it's squib kicks, whether it's whatever to force teams to return kicks, what the Raiders do, and really what the league does. Do you think this is going to be kind of a copycat situation where teams are going to early on see how others force returns um, if they're getting a lot of fair catches? Because um, it just seems to me like th that could frustrate teams into either squibbing it or doing something they have to do to force a return. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I want to find out. It was one of the reasons I was uh, 
you know, I know a lot of people aren't super fired up for early preseason games in particular, but um, I was really into it last night. We didn't see a whole lot of uh, change. I think we saw them mostly kicking in the end zone and the weather was a little bit weird too. And the, and the electricity. So I don't want to judge too much on that. I'm very much looking forward to a full weekend of games last or next week uh, in the preseason to see how teams handle it. And maybe if they're, if they're using it, Tom McMahon, the Raiders special teams coordinator, said they're going to use preseason to try to figure out what they want to do. Uh, but they're also trying to find loopholes and see what they can do. And uh, obviously, squib kicking is what everybody thinks. For those that don't know the new rule, you can fair catch anywhere on the field and bring it out to the 25. So if if, if the team, you know, the goal of kick, kickoff teams the last couple of years has been, you know, put it inside the two-yard line, but not in the end zone, and put it near the sideline. So you can cut off half the field. Uh, and make teams run it out instead of being able to take fair catches and come out to the 25 because the 25 is such a valuable line uh, in terms of, you know, average expected points when you start at the 25 yard line compared to inside the 25. Uh, so that's why teams are like, all right, we'll just take it to the 25. And now if you can just fair catch it in those situations and go to the 25, uh, I think a lot of teams will do that. So how do you counteract that? You squib, uh, you, you know, maybe even, I, I don't know. You, I don't think you just kick it in the end zone and just forget about it. I think you want to at least make a team try to fair catch it. Uh, but I think a lot of squib kicks, a lot of creative kicks uh, that teams use, um, even high and real short, like around the 20-yard line, to really confuse opponents of what do you do, try to make it bounce uh, in the middle of the field and cause com- some confusion. Uh, I think that's going to be the key to try to confuse teams. And how are they going to do that? I think there's a lot of different ways to go about it. I'm just intrigued what guys come up with. And Tom McMahon basically said he's you know, working every day, looking at scenarios of what you can do, put a lot of spin on the ball. So it's hard to catch. Uh, right, that's part of right. it. Um, there's a lot of different things you can try to do. So I am fascinated. I think it's, it's a huge potential development. I know not a lot of people are thinking about it or paying attention to it. I just think it's going to change a lot of how uh, games are seen. It could make kickoffs more exciting, even uh, in those scenarios. And then of course, if they do go to the XFL rule next year, which is very possible, uh, that'll change things even more. But for right now, it's a matter of just trying to figure out how to make teams run it back or make teams do what you want to do with it. Uh, and I, I'm going to be very tuned into the preseason to see how teams handle it. Yeah. Um, obviously, as players have said that, you know, it's their view. They're trying to protect the players. Um, the XFL rule uh, sure seems to protect them um, yeah. more so. Uh, and I, I guess I wasn't surprised that the reports came out that they're thinking about doing this. I mean, that goes to the, ultimate degree of trying to of trying to protect guys yeah no question and that that's basically uh you you know have the 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 kickoff team and the kick return team line up five yards apart have the kicker drop it into that zone and then you basically uh you kind of line up i heard it described as uh as the old electric football where guys are just kind of standing there waiting for the ball to be caught and then they can take off and it's kind of chaotic but there's not a huge running start um we'll see if they make that happen I know a lot of people are against it just because it looks kind of funny, but I think you'd get used to it at some point. Um, we'll see. I, I know, you know, looking at some numbers yesterday for for the story, the you know, this is this is an at in place in college football. Now in college, they mostly just allow the they just kick it in the end zone or um, you know just figure it out that way. They don't really try to get tricky. But I think in the NFL, where you're fighting for every possible advantage, uh, I think they do try to get a little bit trickier. But in, in college football, it dropped returns from about three point one a game to about two point six. So it did drop about a half return per game. Uh, so it was fairly effective in limiting uh, how many times you saw kickoff returns. But um, I, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated by how it all plays out and, and how different we see uh, some of the teams try to approach this. Um, 
Any surprises this week? Before I ask you about this college situation with who was released, who wasn't, any moves they made. Um, I'm going to play a clip right now. You asked uh, Josh uh, McDaniels about O.J. Howard. Let's hear what he said to him after they released O.J. Howard. Hey, much. I didn't room. You guys moved on from O.J. Howard uh, yesterday. I guess uh, what went into that decision? Uh, just, you know, looking at it from the totality, and um, those are hard decisions. We've talked a lot about that. You know, he's a guy who's played in this league and done some good things and um, just, you know, didn't didn't feel like it was going to end up working out here and just wanted to, you know, if he's going to have an opportunity to make it somewhere else, you know, doing the right thing there and uh, brought Jacob Hollister back in. We signed, we re-signed Jacob Hollister. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that go into that, kicking game, et cetera. Um, you know, but LJ did everything we asked him to do here. He's a great teammate and uh, wish him the best. So any surprises about OJ Howard that you had or, um, you know, other moves they've made? It doesn't seem like they've made a ton. No, I, I'll say there was a, a national reporter uh, that was in that I was talking to watching practice. And he kind of looked over and he said, wait, is that OJ Howard on this team? I don't even know he signed here. And I said, yeah, I don't think he's making the team. Uh, I would, I'd be pretty surprised if he did. And then two days later, he's released. So I, I don't think that was a big surprise, especially, you know, they brought him in with Austin Hooper and he said, OK, that's a pretty solid combination to try to replace Darren Waller. But once they draft Michael Mayer, who's another like Austin Hooper, another receiving tight end, and you knew he was going to be on the team, you knew Hooper would be on the team. Um, another guy like O.J. Howard, who's not necessarily a huge factor on special teams, probably wasn't going to work. Uh, they were going to need a, a special teams uh, type guy on at tight end, and they go out and re-sign Jacob Hollister again, who is that type of player. So, um, right. I, I don't think it was a huge surprise. Uh, being if you you know if we kind of study the roster and look at it, how that worked out. So uh, that's where they are there. Um, in terms of other surprise, I mean, the, some of the inconsistencies of Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, has been a little bit of a surprise. I was uh, not. I was not out there today. It's Friday. If you're listening to this, but uh, from the texts, there was more inconsistency from that offense and from Jimmy. Yeah, four picks, and uh, none of them were particularly well thrown. I mean, it's not like the the defense made a couple of nice plays on the ball, but I mean, it's not like they were stealing the ball away from receivers on great routes or anything. I mean, it was it was just some really bad throws, and you know, there was one point where it looked like he was limping a little bit after falling down to the ground. So I don't know if his foot is impacting him much, but uh, certainly inconsistent on the deep balls in general, not really uh, connecting with his guys, and then. On uh, on some of the intermediate and, and uh, shorter throws, he's been good at times, but today he was just all over the place uh, in general. So not a great practice for him. And I also think, you know, the we we've talked so much to the offensive linemen about how important the consistency is, right? The the carryover, how many guys you know play last year and are now back in that same position this year, and how valuable it is for them. And now all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, is it because? There is a massive battle going on at right tackle, and I don't know how many people expected that necessarily. Uh, Jermaine Illumina obviously played there all most of last year when there was injuries. He moved around a little bit, but uh, for the last you know two thirds of the season, he was there locked in as the starting right tackle, and he's back. And I think people just kind of assumed he was the starting right tackle, but Thayer Munford is right there Thayer with Munford's him. They're on, isn't he? Yeah, and last year they you know with the offensive line they kind of rotated every position, almost every every uh, every drill. You couldn't really tell who the first team was, and um, you know, so it was kind of a mystery this year. It's pretty clear. And and you see the first team line playing together quite a bit and it's four guys are the same. It's, you know, Colton Miller, obviously at left tackle, Dylan Parham at left guard, uh, Andre James at center, Alex bars at right guard. And then it's Jermaine Illuminor and Thayer Munford rotating at the right tackle. And it's been mostly Thayer Munford lately. So 
Um, I, I think right now, if you had to say who's the starting right tackle, I'd say it's probably Theron Munford. Uh, but there's a long way to go. And then right guard today for the first time. Eh, there's been a couple of instances, but really for the first time in long stretches, uh, Van Roten, the uh, the new guard, uh, you know, veteran guy about a decade in the league, uh, he was jumping in there for Alex Bars at right guard. So um, definitely some things to monitor over there. I think much more at right tackle where uh, it does look like Theron Munford might be in a slight lead over Jermaine Illuminor. Interesting stuff there. Um, real quick, the Pac-12 has dissolved as as we know it. Um, I want you, you you went to UNLV. Um, I'm sure you have a take on them. Um, Oregon and Washington uh, are apparently jumping to the Big Ten. Arizona's on the uh, on the precipice of going to the Big Twelve. So that league is just going to disintegrate. Um, what's you know what do you think the best case scenario is for UNLV? I guess they could go to a splintered Pac-12. I don't think it would be a power league. Um, you take Washington State, uh, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, you throw San Diego State and SMU in there, then you start getting to the UNLVs of the world. Um, still a better situation than they're in right now, having to pay those exit fees just to get out of there? Or what do you think happens with UNLV? Well, I, I mean, I think the, the other question is, what is the Pac-12? Like, is that exist? Is it? Aren't those four teams coming to the Mountain West? Isn't that essentially what's going to happen? Or they? Or they I, yeah, they're going to jump over. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen here because it really isn't a Pac-12 anymore. So, um, I mean, do you want the brand name? Maybe. Uh, do you change it to like the Mountain Pacific? Perhaps. Um, but I, I do imagine it's some conglomeration of the Mountain West and the four remaining Pac-12 teams becomes a conference out West. And we'll see how that how that goes forward. I, I've said for like six years now uh, that there's going to be somewhere between 64 and 80 teams and, and mega conferences and they're going to split away from the NCAA. Like, I do think that's going to happen. And I think we're seeing the, the formation of that. We're seeing the haves and the have-nots. And you've got to grab onto a league and uh, and hope that you're one of the ones that gets invited to split away. And I, I don't know that that conglomeration of the Mountain West and Pacific and Pac-12 would, uh, would do that. Uh, but at least, you know, at least there's some brand names potentially there uh, right. to be a part of that. Uh, I, I just don't know if it's going to be enough. But um, we'll see. I also think it's very intriguing if... Uh, if the Big Ten also steals Florida State and Clemson, which I heard being discussed, like that would be pretty wild too. What happens to the ACC then? Like, there's a lot of moving pieces here, but um, yeah, I think in terms of out west, I think it's it, it's it's almost obvious that it has to be you know the the Mountain West and what's left over for the Pac-12 becomes right. a, a mega conference out here. I don't know if it's a Power Five conference. Uh, well, it would be the fifth conference. Uh, I don't know if that if it's Power Four now is what we're going by, but right, uh, it'd be the number five conference. Yeah, no, it would be. It'd be if if the group of five stayed as that, it would be the best group of five conference by far. Um, and if they were able to maintain their power status, it'd be a power five conference as well. Which you know, good for UNLV. Who knows what the TV deal would look like? Um, they already lost teams because of the TV deal or the non-TV deal, Apple streaming um, and the money uh, in other leagues. So who knows what that would look like? But I think for UNLV, these are interesting times and. Um, you know, it's it's they have a lot of good points going for them. And I was out of practice today and it's just a feeling I have. And it's the first time I've had this feeling in a long time, to tell you the truth, since I've been here um, in Las Vegas. I think they have a coach who can turn it around and Barry Odom. Yeah, me too. And I, and I have not and I don't know about you, but I have not said that in, in a long time. No, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I like everything about what he's done and. Um, it's not just because he's been fairly cool with us, which is which does help. But no, it helps. Um, but yeah, I mean, he could 
he could not be cool with us. And I still think we'd look at him and his, his yeah. experience and where he came from and said, okay, this guy knows what, you know, football's about. Yeah, I think absolutely. And, and I also think, you know, it, it's funny, the lack of, you know, you know, you just assume things about programs, right. And, uh, but about coaches even where uh, I heard a national guy say, hey, hey, you know, Odom's a good coach, he's a good defensive coach, but you know, his kind of slug it out style isn't going to be appealing to anybody. Nobody's going to want to watch that offense. And I was like, yeah, you clearly don't know who they hired as offensive coordinator. This is going to be run and gun, up tempo, fast paced, all over the place offense. Uh, that's what Odom hired, and uh, I don't think anybody even knows that. So, you know, there is a lack of understanding of what the program is and where it's going. But I think it's I think they're not only going to be good, but pretty fun to watch, and uh, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think so too. We'll have to wait and see. They open twenty nine days from now against Bryant, and then uh, at Michigan, that will tell us a lot about uh, UNLV uh, and couple other uh, non-conference games at UTEP home to Vanderbilt. I think if they can get out of that two and two, they definitely will compete in the Mountain West Conference this year. And uh, I sit here saying I'll be surprised if they're not in a bowl game. Uh, and I have not said that in a long time. Yeah. I also heard, Ed, uh, since, uh, you know, if you want to jump over uh, to STN Sports, uh, I hear Michigan is probably going to be about a 41-point favorite in that game over UNLV. Uh, I would bet UNLV before they play Bryant because I think it's going to change a lot of opinions uh, when people actually see this team play. So take the plus 41. There you go. Adam Hill, he's giving you gambling advice uh, uh, as much as he also gives you Raiders and UNLV news. That's going to do it for our latest edition of Unsportsmanlike Conduct of the Vegas Nation, sponsored by Station Casinos, Estian Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Remember, there are new episodes of Vegas Nation three times a week. Subscribe to Vegas Nation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcasting app. Find all that coverage and more at VegasNation.com. For our producer, Larry Meir, and my co-host, Adam Hill, I'm Ed Graney. We'll talk to you next week. It'll be dual practices with the 49ers. Vegas, get in on the sports betting action and get on the STN Sports app. With 14 convenient sign-up locations across town at Station Casinos, Wildfire, and El Cortez, you're only a few minutes away from getting started no matter where you are in town. With a huge menu of betting options and points back on your bets, STN Sports is the strongest betting app out there.